Welcome back to another episode of Pops, Guys Church Unplugged. My name is Jordan, and in this episode, we have a unique message coming to us from another ministry of ours, Hymns and Hope. Hymns and Hope is a co-ed ministry where we gather together as families to worship and grow deeper in the Word. There are two messages here, one by Brother Sheldon and another by Adam. We hope you enjoy. Good, good morning. Good, well, yeah, good morning, good morning. Hey, y'all did good on them hymns. The last time I was singing the hymn, I was in, I was in prison, so... And that's all we sung, Blessed Assurance. That was my thing when I was in prison, man. We sung them hymns. So, man, y'all did. Y'all brought back a lot of memories from the time I was in prison. Uh, my name is Sheldon Oliver. I'm not going to try to keep you guys long. I know God doesn't make mistakes. When he puts you in a place, you go. You never put a question mark where God puts a period. So you just go. When it's in your spirit, you just go. So when Jay say, hey, I need you, that's God saying, hey, Sheldon, it's time to go. My name is Sheldon Oliver. I was born in East Liberty, a little town in Pittsburgh part of Pittsburgh. Uh, I had uh, three brothers, mother. We finally got out of the projects when I was around um, nine years old, eight years old. And my dad moved us to this place called Penn Hills to the suburbs, which I love. We played football. I had friends. It was a totally different vibe from where I came from. So, but my mother still had the uh, old neighborhood, same attitude, if you would say. So a lot of things didn't change in the household, but outside it was a beautiful thing. Um, I ended up going to Penn Hills High School, I mean Penn Hills uh, District, school district, where I met, had a lot of friends. It was very diverse. Uh, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. Um, from there, I uh, stayed in Penn Hills until ninth grade, and my mother and father were getting a divorce out the time, and my mother was from a place called Homewood. Uh, all her family is from a place called Homewood. Uh, you probably seen it a lot in the news, uh, but yes, yeah, so I grew up from near on, from 15 on uh, in Homewood. Uh, my dad grew up on a street called Blackador. Uh, his father started the first rubbish company in the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, he had overtops back in uh, the early, late 50s. Um, so uh, between the divorce and going back to Homewood uh, was, was rough for me. Um, so in ninth grade, I got kicked out of Penn Hills. My brothers and I, we used to fight a lot. And gangs had started in Pittsburgh. Uh, we had Crips and we had Bloods, and the gangs were breaking out wild. And our neighborhood happened to be Crips. Uh, so what happened in Penn Hills when I got kicked out of school in ninth grade, uh, they made us do a tutorial saying there's no gangs uh, in Penn Hills. So uh, we went to West, went down to Western House. That didn't last long. Uh, by the time I was 16, I was on my grandmother's stoop selling my first drugs. Uh, my little cousin Dave... Uh, I was running around, I think he was about 14 at the time, and uh, started selling drugs. And that's when the whole thing came to fruition. So you never want to mistake God's plan uh, for a mistake. God won't send you in no directions that's a mistake. He won't put you in a place that's a mistake. If you believe in him and have faith, at that time I didn't know God, but I always knew something of him. I always felt this protection. I never knew what this protection was, but there was a lot of shootouts in our lives. And there used to be shootouts, and now I'm on the block, and we're hustling, we're selling drugs, and we're making a name for ourselves. We used to get points uh, for going to have gang wars with the other neighborhoods, so you get points. And by the time I was 16, I was in Schumann Center on an attempted homicide charge for shooting uh, what they tried to say I shot up a guy or a car and I was 16 found myself in my first incarceration uh this time it was really wild in my life and I did a lot of crying at this time I was a lot of loss and they always say the people around you uh love you the most but the people around me at the time was gang people and street people and my all my uncles were selling drugs and my mom I haven't seen her in a while uh and it was rough it was rough but I always felt something 
but I just never could put words with it. But at the time, I was going so hard for the devil that I never even tried to put words to it. But I did know that my grandparents used to pray a lot, and they used to keep the Bible all the time. And I did know that I had an aunt that used to sing all the time when we come in the house. And I know I did have an uncle who did love the Lord, but I didn't like walking to church to Six Mount Zion with them. So me and my cousins would act like we walk and we go to the candy store. When I came home off that attempted homicide charge, uh, I was about 16 and a half, 17. Now I'm on a road called Democus, and y'all know about the story of Paul and Democus. And Paul was killing, and he was assassinating Christians at the time. And I was that guy, and I would go back to the neighborhood, and at this time I had a nice little rep for myself. So I was known in the neighborhood not to be messed with, and a lot of our guys on our set was the same way, and our neighborhood was just known for that. So as time went on, we started losing people, and I started losing many, many friends from shootings after shootings after shootings after shootings to a point where I used to go into the hospital. We didn't even ask how to get to the person because they would stop us. We would just go find the room ourselves. And then little Harold had got shot in the head by the police, and then after he got shot, then killed dad in my arms. And It was one late night, and I was out on the street, and they came around the corner, and they told, now we got you, and they started shooting. And Dre, I told him to run, but he couldn't run because he froze with the element of surprise. And I felt something strong in my spirit just come over me. And then I noticed that kill went down, and I heard bop, 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 bop. And I said, run, and they froze. And I turned, I froze, and I'm supposed to be the big bad wolf, and I froze too. And next thing you know, Dre and Kill, and I couldn't find Kill. And I was looking in the grass, and I couldn't find him, and he was crawling. I turned him over, and I held him, and Kill was 15 years old, and I'm the one who had Kill out there that day on the block. And they both died that day. I woke up the next day with the same blood on my shirt because I was angry. I was angry at God. I was angry. And I said, I needed revenge. I needed some type of to make me fulfill uh, great again. And I was hurt. And his mothers, and they were crying. And everybody kept coming to us. And we were supposed to be the ones at the time. But I felt something on that road on Democus when I was going and doing all these things. After Dre died, my cousin Dave was murdered. Remember I told you about him? He was the first one I had selling drugs. After Dave died, killed that. I mean, after Dave died, Jamie died. That was my other first cousin. These were my mother's sister's children that I had selling drugs. They both, were, they both got shot. My cousin Dave was killed in front of his two kids, and my cousin Jamie was kidnapped and robbed and left for death. Michael Howdy got shot on Christmas Eve in the head. Then Jared, Aaron, the one who introduced us to the game, went to prison. And Aaron was, we call it what the OG is. Aaron came home 12 years later, and at this time, we was doing good. We had money. I had houses. I had indoor swimming pools, and I was living a great life, what I thought. And we were, we, were, we were going out on New Year's Eve, and Aaron ain't been home for a year. And I got a phone call. We about to go meet Aaron. I said, I'm on my way. And they said, no, Aaron been shot. So then Aaron died. And then a couple years later, I'm still doing what I do, and I'm skipping over a lot because I want to get to the meat of the story with Jesus and the power of Jesus and what Jesus does in people's lives when you let him. And how anger and, and hatred and all these things have no place in this realm or in this world. The only one thing we have is love. And after that, then, after Aaron died and, and then killed, and then uh, uh, it, it was just on, on and on. About 30 friends in my life have been murdered that I can remember or count. I still wake up thinking like, oh, man, I remember. And another one and another one and another one. Then we end up all in. It was all in. All in means this is what I do. This is what I'm going to do. And by any means necessary, the people around me, I'll try to make it happy as possible. 
The best thing I had in my life was a dad. My dad stayed in my life, not a people in the community. They was the community dad. There was not a, black, a lot of black dads in the community. My dad was that dad for everyone. And my dad helped everybody. My dad just raised us. He stood by us. He never questioned us. He just stood by us. On my way to prison in 2006, after all the pain and all the hurt that I have been through, it felt like a time of restoration and peace. And on our road to Demarcus, if you remember, Paul got to that point where, you know, he had the, 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 the uh, conversion. But it wasn't there on Demarcus that Paul had that conversion. And it wasn't there in that jail or on the way to that jail that I had that conversion. I was coming to Macedonia uh, Church on the Hill District, who's now my home church. And I'm coming out to church before I was going to prison. And I seen a man named Chris Horn. And Chris Horn was a youth pastor. I said, Chris, what's up? I ain't seen you since kindergarten. He said, man, I'm a youth pastor. Come back. I said, yeah, I came back. And he's talking. The last time I seen Chris, I remembered, I thought, was when I was helping him from getting beat up, from getting his bike stolen <laughs> as a kid. And Chris invited me back. And I'll go back. And now I'm about to go back to prison. And, and Chris and I'm dealing with Macedonia Church and uh, I'm feeling something different in my life and Chris has introduced me to something different in your life and when Paul got blind he had to go to a street called Straight and he started feeling something different in the life and he met a man named Anias and God called Anias and said Anias go to Paul and he said I'm not going to that crazy man I'm not helping that man he said no you go to that man and you help that man and he said I'm not going to that man I ain't going to help that man and Anias was fighting with his with the word of God and Chris might have been fighting with the word of God when he told him to come talk to me and get me and when he came and got me, and next thing you know, I had four neighborhoods. Because at this time, gangbang was all all time high. And something in my heart said, go to that church again. And I went back to that church, and Chris was there with open arms. And he started talking to me about God. And he started. And at this time, my mother's boyfriend had just uh, had shot at me with a, with a shotgun. And I, I was dealing with that. And she stood next to the guy when he shot the shotgun. And me and my mom's relationship was broken. And I was losing all these friends to death. And I, I'm just confused and lost. And I just ain't know what to do. And Chris invited me into this temple, into this house, and I went back, and when I went back, next thing you know, I started going to people who I was selling drugs to and said, let me get your kids, I'm changing my life, and they laughed, and they're like, what are you talking about? I said, my man and them got a church over there in Macedonia, and they said if I bring the kids there, and they can hear Chris speak, that they'll let them play basketball, and they'll let them play PlayStation. I said, man, I don't need nothing else from you. You owe me. I don't want the money you owe me. I don't want anything I've done for you. I don't want it back. I just want you to let these kids come into the church so they don't have to live the life that we live in right now and that I lived and next you know we had four vans in Macedonia church we had all the games we had bloods and crips and everything in one church and it was doing good and my court hearing was coming up and I was on my way to court and, and when I got to the court wasn't none of the people from the streets in the courtroom it was all people from the church and that's when I started realizing that God had a plan and a purpose for my life it wasn't about what I thought was right for Satan and on to jail and I stood in front of the judge and the judge said, uh, due to the circumstances, son, that I have to give you 10 years and due to because of this and that to speed it up. Uh, I said, judge, um, unfortunately, I, I don't want to take it, but if this is what God has planned for me, then this is what it is. And the judge said, well, I know you're angry, son. He said, go back home with your family, get your life together, and I'll get yourself surrendered. And I said, no. I said, No. I said, if God has me here today, God has already surrendered me, and I will go today. And I went on to prison, and praise the Lord, because that's the best thing that ever happened to me. You could clap it up for me going to prison, please. Clap it up for me going to prison, please, because without prison, you wouldn't have me today. And while I was in prison, I knew I wasn't there for to do no time. I knew I was there to help some people. I was there to save some lives. I was there to change some lives. I wasn't there to do no times. I didn't do a bit of time in prison.
I didn't do not one bad day in prison. Seven days a week, I worked out. I got healthy. I started running 10 miles, and I brought more men to Christ than anybody could ever believe from that man who was on the road to Damascus. And now I met that man named Anias, and now my life was changing in prison. I had Thanksgiving dinners in prison. I brought over 200 men to prison. I wrote the warden in prison to come up here and get somebody, a chaplain up here to baptize these people. And I went on to another prison. I set up another ministry in prison. That one started to flourish. I went on to another prison. I set that one on. I started to flourish. And then I got that letter saying, son, it's time for you to come home. Ain't 10 years. You ain't doing. You coming home in five, six years. I said, praise the Lord. But I was still on a mission, so I really didn't care. I didn't care. So now I'm in prison. I'm doing all I can. In prison, you got over 200 nationalities in a prison called Allenwood. You got people who talk like this to people you don't even understand. And we had all of them. That's what I was laughing. You had all of them. Every religion you could think of. I mean, there was religions I never heard. I think they were just making religions up as they walked around. They had more religions. They had more situations in prisons you wouldn't believe. But we had the main one. We had Jesus. And without with Jesus, we were able to overcome all of them. I had uh, Muslims and Hindus and, and, and uh, uh, oh, I forgot the one guys were calling themselves out of I can't even think of their name. Witchcraft. All types of things. But what I found, there was only one religion. I don't even want to call it a religion. There was only one belief that changes the spirit. I watch Muslims get on the ground and pray in jail every day. Five days a week. Five times a day. Every day. I watched Hindu get over there and do their chants. I watched Buddhism do their thing. And I was a study of theology, theology, so I went to all these groups. I wanted to learn and hear what they were hearing from what they call their God. And as soon as them people get done with what they're doing, they go right back to anger. They go right back to hate. They go right back to all them. Say, wow, when I'm done with my prayer, I'm stuck in love. And it was there in prison that God changed my life. I was in a camp on my way home. A camp is somewhere you got to work your way down in a federal prison. And I'm in a camp on my way home. And in the camp, nobody knew how to do time. In jail, we saw it doing time. We don't want nobody pooping in their toilet, not flushing it as it goes down. We don't want nobody brushing their teeth and spitting in our sinks. We don't want these certain things. You, this is your house now. And when you get down to these camps, there's these guys in here who who, who done million-dollar schemes and things like that, so they really don't know how to do prison time. And they sent me to this to this place, and I was ready. I said, "Man, you can send me back to that place, to that to that to that prison, that big one up there, because I don't know if I could do my time here because of the disrespect. It was so disrespectful. But what God said, you're staying here. He said, because these people needed you just as much as them people needed you, and you ain't in prison because of yourself. You're in prison because I want you in prison at this time. I wrote more letters home to Pastor B. He used to use them. That's our pastor. And uh, I woke up one morning." And I used to get up at 4.30 to beat the crowd in the bathroom. And this is my convert. This is, we're going to about to end on this one. And I woke up, and I, Jesus talked to me clear. I studied that Bible back front sideways. He said, get up and go in the bathroom. I got up, and I went in the bathroom. It was about 4.30 in the morning. He said, look in the mirror. He said, say your name. My name on the street, they called me Smoke. That's all I ever knew. I realized at that point I didn't know my favorite color. I thought it was blue. It wasn't blue. 
At that point, I thought I liked steaks and lobsters. I don't like steaks and lobsters. I like a Five Guys burger. I like a good hot dog. I used to wear a lot of jewelry and have fancy cars. I don't like jewelry and fancy cars. I like a Corvette. That's what my dad drove, and that's what I drive today. But I ride around a 2005 Honda on an everyday special. And it was in that time in that bathroom at 4.30 in the morning at McKean Prison that I looked in the mirror and God said, say your name. I said, Sheldon. It was the first time in my life that I once said my name because I never liked it. But it was the first time in my life that I loved myself. I love Sheldon. 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 And when I realize of that all the work I put in for Satan, when I get out of here and put the same work in for God, God got a soldier now. So when I come home, they better get ready. I ain't got a gun on my hip, but I got a Bible I can pull out and shoot just as fast. So now when I came home, it was time to go down. Sheldon. Sheldon. I said, God, and my life converted. My Anias came to me in that day. And from that day forth, I never touched a drug or a gun. I was released from prison in 2011. I promised God two things. My worst vices was a gun and drugs. I haven't touched neither one since 2006. When you give it all to God, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod, thy staff, thy comforts me. Whatever you're going through in your life, whatever you have in your marriage and in your homes, whatever you're watching on TV that may confuse your mindset, whatever decisions that you have to make right now that are tough, whatever thing that is going on in your shoulders right now, give it to God and let it go. Say your name and remember who you worship and step out on faith. That God can use you in a mighty way because he needs every one of us what's going on in this world. So now you're looking at a man who's married, me, five beautiful children, two through college, five businesses later, five businesses, over 60, what I got, 47 employees right now, for with a GED, gun-toting, weed-smoking, Hennessy-drinking, man, standing before you all, today to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. If we could just stand right now, I just want to pray out. If, you, if Jay doesn't mind, just to say a short prayer. Jay, I would like to thank you and your wife for the invitation. Jay and I met during our brother Gary White's event that was at August Wilson Center. He's in the back back there. We just did nothing but worship God at the August Wilson Center. It was a free event because Jay, no, I'm just kidding. But we wanted God to move in a mighty way. And we know when God moves, there's nothing you can do about it. Please allow God to use this. We go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just come to you humble as we know how. Just want to give you thanks for this opportunity. I don't know why you brought me here, but whatever the reason was, I hope it got out there. I hope you use my tongue and my spirit wisely. I hope that you bless every man and woman in this room. I hope you send them out of here with many blessings, breaking chains in their lives that are holding them back from decisions they are making. Lord, take over their lives, Lord. Take over their homes, Lord. Have your way in their lives, Lord. It's all about you, for we give it all to you right now, Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Take everything that's in us that's not supposed to be in us away from us, because we don't want it no more, Lord. We want to be able to say our name. We want to be able to shout our names, and we want to give glory to the God, for nothing in us is about you. We do not.
not want it. Heavenly Father, today I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you for forgiving us for our sins. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for you being obedient. Thank you for showing us how to walk, showing us which way to go. Thank you for leaving us directions, oh Lord. Lord, speak to us right now. Speak to us so we can hear what you want for the purpose of our lives. Father, give us the faith of a mustard seed that we will go with no question. When we hear you speak, we go. Heavenly Father, let us change lives. Send us around the world. Send us in homes and places we've never been before. Send us out of our comfort zones that we can show the glory of God to the people around the world. And all the God's children said amen and amen. All right, what's going on, everyone? How you guys doing? I hope I don't let you down today. Those, those things always sound so cool, and then people are like, man, where's all the cool Blackhawk pilot stories? So thank God for my wife, because I was like, she's like, so what are you going to talk to him about? And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to talk about identity. I'm going to talk about calling out the identity that's in your children. You know, I'm going to talk about giving names. I mean, wait till you watch how synced our talks are, and we've never met before. That is what God can do. I'm fired up because this was full confirmation, full evidence that we were meant to be here because this is synced more than you could ever imagine. So I'm talking to my wife and I'm saying, yeah, you know, uh, her name's Jessica. She's in the back. And I'm basically like, you know, I've been speaking for years. And she said, what are you going to talk about? I said, identity. I said, I'm going to talk about being led by the spirit. We're going to talk about Romans 8. Anyone know Romans 8 pretty well? We're going to hit on Romans 8. And uh, she goes, yeah, but you're a Blackhawk pilot. So like, make sure you talk about aviation things too, you know? And I said, yeah, that's okay. All right. So you know, all right, so here, here's how we're going to be led by the Spirit with aviation. You know what I mean? I'm thinking of ways of, like, how do I give you guys the story you want, which is the Army pilot guy, but I give you the rawness of who I am, which is Adam. Adam's enough. And he didn't used to think he was enough. He used to think he had to be the Black Hawk pilot. He had to be the commander. He had to be everyone everyone else saw him as. In fact, I was so lost my entire life, even though I had all this achievement. Anyone else here, have you been addicted to achievement before? I sure have. I mean, maybe you guys haven't, but I sure have. Man, I wanted it all. I wanted every title. I wanted every position. And the whole time, I loved God. So it wasn't like I was, I was lost without him. I was just lost in my own thoughts. And today, I want to talk to you guys about also, you don't need to think every thought. It's not all from you. There are thoughts that have been taught to you by this world that are not congruent with your identity. It's not congruent with who you are and who he is. So we're going to hit on that as well. I got some notes, so I'm, I usually don't use a lot of notes, but with church stuff, sometimes I do that here. I got some cool props, too. Anyone here like props? You like, like, cool army props? All right, good. One second here. Oh, thanks, brother. And I got the Army stories for you because I know you want those. So, um, first of all, I'm just honored to be here. I'm actually shocked that I'm here. I'm not from Pittsburgh. I've only lived here for, you know, basically since COVID started. My wife's from here. And, you know, for me, I was like, man, this is like the good old boys club. You know, I don't know anyone. No one knows me. And I feel like totally alone. I mean, I hope you guys can relate. This is a pretty tight community, and a lot of people know each other, and they stick to each other. And then here comes this outsider, and then COVID starts, and it's like, no one knows me, I know no one, and I'm absolutely alone. I'm isolated. I'm lost. But today, praise God, he did a lot of work in me, and now I'm able to be here today. I'm 
fully honored. And I just want to take a moment and say thank you, Jay Simon. Seriously, you are a phenomenal leader. Phenomenal. And I'm telling you guys, I've worked with a lot of leaders, and everyone thinks these Army stories are going to be good ones. You know, they think I'm going to tell you about this amazing unit that changed the world around them. Not today. I'm not going to tell you about those units. Sometimes I will. You know, you think you got these uh, colonels that you work for, these full, full bird colonels out of the Pentagon and stuff, and you think they're all squared away. No, man, watch the, watch the military people in the crowd. Heads are shaking. They're like, no, no, that's not true. You, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a person by their rank or their title, okay? Your name is enough. But there are more names to who you are. And guess what? God also had me look in a mirror. And I can't wait to share that with you. So let's get going. All right, so um, we're going to start here with Romans 8, just for a second, because honestly, I absolutely love this area. Um, Jay and I have been uh, doing life together for probably about a year and a half or so now. And he knows, as uh, structured as I used to be in the Army, now I've just kind of surrendered to God and I allow him to lead. And uh, that can be really scary. It can be intimidating. You can be up here being like, someone goes, hey, what are you going to say today? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? And your wife's like, make sure you say aviation things and helicopter stuff, okay? All right, cool. I'll use that as, a, as my crutch here to get us going. So if you guys want to open with me real quick, Romans 8, verse 18. <clears throat> Romans 8, verse 18 says, and New King James Version is what I'm reading. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In us, not us. What's us? All right, Romans 8, 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for what? The revealing of the sons of God. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Man, I remember when I heard that, it like spoke to my spirit. It was weird. I was like, man, I can't let that one go because I'm really confused why it doesn't say creation is just waiting for God to show up and solve all the problems. Like that really threw me off. And I don't know if you've also kind of pondered that. And I'm like, man, maybe it's because he solved all the problems and now he's co-laboring with you. Maybe it's because scripture says we co-labor with Christ. He works through you and I. And I'm about to blow your mind probably for some of you. So in Romans 8, 19, I remember, you know, I have a lot of really good mentors, unbelievable spiritual mentors who've been able to help me, who've done great things with their life. I have a mentor who, uh, he's a spiritual father to me now, and he actually preached with Miles Monroe at one point, okay? So we're talking about a, a big dog player right here, okay? And basically, he's going to be like, why did you call me that? But uh, I want to point something out. He said, Adam, do you notice this says the sons of God? I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, like the children of God. He's like, no, no, no. The sons of God, not the children of God. Those are two different words. And he started to show me how to, you know, go deeper into scripture and see what the actual words are. And I don't know if anyone knows what the word son is, but it's not the same as child. So creation is not waiting for the children of God. Creation is eagerly waiting for the sons of God. Now, I, I want to uh, correct something um, just to, to help bring this together. When we say sons, we're not talking about the men. Okay, we're talking about sons and daughters, right? Either way, it's the same, it's the same meaning. The word is theos, okay? So we're waiting for the, it's, I can't say it right. It's like weos. Anyone else know it? Weos, theos. You can look it up. It's not the same. Children is tekken. 
I'm like, all right, so we're talking about a different word entirely. So what's creation waiting for? The revealing of the sons of God. Why? Because there's solutions inside of you. Because you're connected to the source. You're connected to heaven. And just to make this really crystal clear for anyone, if we go back to Romans 8.14, go ahead and look at Romans 8.14. Because again, I'm like, man, the sons of God. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Wow, it's right there. Just back up a couple verses. Don't you always love that when you're like, wait, I'm kind of confused, God. He's like, slow down. You're getting ahead. Go back, reread what you just read. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the huios of God. So what makes someone a son of God, a daughter of God? Think of this like a maturity in the kingdom, okay? We're all children, but some are sons, some are daughters. These are led by the Spirit of God. It's right there, right in front of you. In other words, I want to encourage us all to surrender, to surrender to his lead. Because like I said, heaven's solutions are hidden within you, and they're hidden within my daughter. They're hidden within Adeline. They're hidden within Aspen. And that's part of his plan to bring restoration to the world. It started with man, and now he's given it back to mankind. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth was given unto me. Then what did he say next? Go. He commissioned with authority. Who? Mankind. Why? Man, before the fall, what was going on with mankind? How long did they live? Forever. What was their whole goal? Dominion. To steward what was given to them. To multiply. I hope this is connecting some of you. But I only needed to connect with, like, a couple. Because you'll be a solution here in Pittsburgh. In Isaiah 9-7, it says, To the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It's interesting. You guys see a lot of peace right now in Pittsburgh? You see a lot of peace in the world? So what's going on? Man, we need to be dependent on him and allow him to lead us. And that is exactly what you just heard from Sheldon. Not only is it what you heard, it's actually the example he gave us. Remember he said, man, I felt like something was telling me, go talk to Chris. What's that called? What's that called? Being spirit-led. What is he? A son. What can he do? Help restore creation through God. We don't do this on our own. Please, I know sometimes like, dude, what are you saying? I am saying I am 100% dependent on him. And I'm also saying he gave me a unique design identity. And if I align with that, we're going to accomplish some great things together because that's his whole plan. He could do everything and all things, but he chooses to pause and wait for who? You and I. Give it up for God, man. That's amazing. That's, that's our God. He could do it all. We could just be robots, you know, like just doing exactly what he wants. And he's saying, man, listen to me. Listen to my lead. Listen to where I'm taking you next. Notice what I'm pointing out to you in this moment. Look in the mirror. All right, who wants an army story? Okay, so here we go. So basically, 
Here I am as a brand new army commander. I'm 27 years old at the time. I know I still look like I'm 27. I'm not. It's been a couple years. But yeah, I'm 27 years old, brand new army company commander. If anyone doesn't know what that means, you know, I'm leading a group of about 90-some people. I got multiple platoons, multiple officers, crew chiefs, medics, maintainers, avionics professionals. Um, I have my own executive officer. I have my own first sergeant. And I report directly to the battalion commander of a unit of about 1,000 people. 27 years old, you talk about feeling like you are absolutely inadequate, right? Especially if you're not led by the Spirit of God, which I wasn't at the time. I want to always point something out to you. Hi, babe. Um, I always want to point something out to you. So, oh, that was adorable. Oh, my gosh. My daughter's just waving to me. Okay. All right. Well, hey, let's get back at it, Adam. All right. So, look. So, basically, I was a... Guys, I've never spoken in front of my kids before. This is... Woo, that was pretty wild right there. And uh, my, my wife has never heard me speak like this before because I usually go by myself and do these things. So, yeah, yeah, just clap for a second. I don't know what it means, but let's just clap. It's a pretty cool moment for sure. And um, I'm glad we're able to bring family to this. So I show up to this unit, inadequate, is, you know, like at least where I'm at right now at that, at that moment. And I see a unit that's absolutely falling apart. I see what they call a farming company. I don't think anyone heard of a farming company who has a military background. But basically, it's like, this is where we put people to just kind of like keep them over here, right? And then we pull the really good ones and we bring them into the other units. And then this unit's just kind of like the, no one really wants to be here. Some are stuck here because of medical things. They're not really flying as much. Uh, some are totally off of flight status entirely because I was given the aircraft maintenance company. So here I am as a UH-60 Blackhawk helicopter pilot and I'm learning aircraft maintenance. Uh, if there's anyone who is not mechanically inclined, it's this guy, and I'm given that position. And I start to see that, man, people hate being here. They're depressed. They're angry. They're avoiding all the extra work that's available for them. They're just kind of doing the bare minimums, like what's going on? And I began to see one thing that God teaches us, right? Which was, I saw a unit that was hurting because it didn't know who it was. This unit was called the, the Delta Company Daggers. And I remember going around, I'm a brand new commander. I'm not going to change a whole bunch of things. That's a really bad thing to do, right? I'm just going to observe and see what actually needs to be adjusted. And I start to realize that no one even knows what it means to be a dagger. I'm like, hey, man, what's it mean to be a dagger? You know, and no one can answer. Hey, can you tell me, what does it mean to you to be in this company? What does it mean to be a dagger? Hey, can you tell me what a dagger means? What's a dagger? Everyone knows the military, man. They're super proud of the patches they wear and what it means. And I'm getting nothing. I said, all right, well, we got a problem here. So we can either redefine what that means or we can start from fresh. And, ex and especially because this unit in particular, not only was it hurting, but a lot of people, a lot of people in the other units were avoiding them for anything extra. That could be maybe a higher risk operation. They'd go around it. I'm like, dude, this is not good. So I started to build some relationships and um, with some key people, built their buy-in. You know, it's kind of like leadership 101, right? I'm not going to go change everything. I'm going to find the people who have the influence, empower them more, let them know big picture vision, and see how, they can, how we can work together to make this thing happen. So basically, the one thing that occurred to me is, it's time to change, man. You guys don't know who the dark horse, or uh, I blew it. You guys don't know who the daggers are. So we're going to rename the unit to the? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, to the dark horse. 
right? Now, I didn't know what I was going to name it at first. I had to start talking, you know, with everyone and kind of feeling out what's going on. And what I found is we were the underdogs that no one saw coming. We were the unit that everyone avoided. We were the dark horse, right? We were the ones who's like, dude, it's those guys. Like, stay away from them. So we became the dark horse, and we fully embraced it. Now, there's a lesson here, okay? That took a lot of work. That took like a year to really make happen. But the big thing that needed to happen is we needed to call out who we were going to be. I want you guys now to turn to Genesis 2, verse 19. All right, Genesis 2.19 says, Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam, mankind, to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. I don't know if anyone knows what the word call means, but it's, I'm always so bad at pronouncing this stuff, kara, kara. I should probably should like roll my R's, kara, uh, something like that. But basically... What that means, I'm going to give you the exact, like, go look at, you can go, you know, do your deep dive in this. What Quran means is to call, to call out, to recite, to read, to cry out, to proclaim. In this unit, I was deciding what to call them. Without recognizing it, God was leading that moment. They didn't know what to call themselves anymore. They didn't know what to proclaim. There was no pride. There was no morale. The unit was suffering. So I started with what we would call a rebrand, Right? But it's interesting because right there we see an example from early on. I mean, Genesis verse 2, or Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, we see what God has mankind do. Like they're really, really like their first action to call out, to proclaim. So, what should we be doing as parents? Why are so many kids hurting today? Why are so many families suffering? Why are we losing the structure that these families used to have? Because I believe we've shut our mouths and we're allowing the world to tell people who they are. And we're on the defense. We're constantly reacting like, man, I don't, I don't know, you know, wait, what'd they say? Okay, let me, let me adjust that. No, it starts now, right from the beginning. Call it out. Proclaim it. Call it out. Proclaim it. This is who you are. This is who God says you are. I don't care what the world says you are. I want to care what he says you are. You guys with me? I am, I am so for real about this, man. This is like the thing that I, I would, I'd give it all if you could just get this. As parents, you're not too late. I don't care how old you are, you're not too late. I didn't need my dad as much as I needed him until I was a brand new dad, okay? This is who you are. Let me tell you who you are. Want to know why? Because I co-labor with Christ. Because I'm led by the Spirit of God. And I can say, God, who do you say this person is? And if you can just be children for a moment, children of God in this moment, not adults of God, the children of God. I know I'm switching on you for a second, but think of the innocence of a children. Think of like, man, okay, you said it, I believe it. Today, we're going to do some uncomfortable things because I need you and he needs you to go back to the original intent. Korah. Korah. I don't know. Something like that. Proclaim. Declare. Tell them who they are and then tell the world who they are and watch what happens. 
You guys are put in a position of influence in your family. I don't care how insignificant you feel. I don't care how young you are. You could be a kid telling a parent who they are. Just make sure it's pure. Make sure it's spirit-led. It's not based on a moment in time, but it's based on evidence of who he designed them to be from the very beginning. This is called the original intent of God. When we align with his original intent, when that unit aligned to a, to a greater intent, everything changed. That unit became phenomenal. It became the top unit. It became one that we started to use and we put the best players in. It's, it's fantastic when you actually see people who go, man, I was going to leave, but I stayed. I had people coming up to me as an army captain, and they're like, sir, I just want to let you know, man. Uh, by the way, they can't call me man. So, sir, I just want to let you know. <laughs> um, I, uh, I was going to leave. Uh, my, my time's up in like a month. But I'm, I renewed. I'm going to stay for a little bit. I want to see what's going to happen next. I'm like, all right, come on, man, that's good. You know, I can call them man. They can't call me man. But I'm like, dude, that's, that's really good stuff. I appreciate that. I appreciate you trusting us in the direction we're going. And I started to get that more and more. And people said, man, what's going on in Delta Company? What's going on in the Dark Horse? And, and I said, this is why we're the Dark Horse. See, it's not enough to name it. You have to say why it has been named that way. See, God brought the animals to man and said, name it. I want to see what you do. Man, there's this co-laboring with Christ that needs to happen much more in this day and age. He's, he's, he's working with you. He's leading you. Please be an innocent child and just follow it. Just, just be like, man, even right now, you might already have a lead. Like you, you have, a, you have a, a name in your head. You have a face uh, in your mind. You have something where you're like, I feel like Adam's talking about this. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm talking about your long-lost son. Maybe I'm talking about your long-lost daughter. Maybe I'm talking about uh, what Jesus gave us as the perfect example of the father, the prodigal son. Man, he gave us the example that that person went away, spent everything, came back, and how was he greeted? Love, open arms. You're still my son. That is what he teaches us. So that's what happened to the dark horse. I'm going to give you one last example on that part. On the Mount of Transfiguration, we see how the Father says when uh, the disciples are up on the mountain, he says, this is my son who I am well pleased. What did he do? He said, this is my son who I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus, uh, when we see him approaching an area where he has to, he's going to bring someone back to life, right? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. You need to know who you are. Now, there's an order to this. Start with who he is, and he'll tell you who you are. Start with who he is, and he'll tell you who you are. That's what happened with Peter. He said, who do you say I am? You guys know how the story goes, right? And eventually he tells Peter, this is who you are. Simple. Let's not complicate this. But do you notice when he said, this is who you are, within that came an entire design for that person's life. This is what you will accomplish. I'm going to take a moment to tell you about my daughter, Adeline. So, uh, whoo, going to get emotional. So, Addie uh, is awesome. And I, you know, for a, a little bit of time, 
was really struggling as a father, struggling to connect, struggling to be present. I was so addicted to achievement. I was, you know, an army officer. I was flying Blackhawk helicopters till 11 o'clock at night. You know, um, I had a business on the side. I mean, I just filled it all up. And I thought by getting out of all that, that everything would get better. But what I tell Jay is that a hardened heart, right? A thickened skin caused a hardened heart. Some of us, our thin has become, our skin has become so thick that it's hardened the heart. So I softened my heart. Actually, no, I didn't do anything, did I? No, I just was like, God, if you could harden Moses's, or if you could harden Pharaoh's, could you soften mine? And every day I'd cry out, God, soften my heart. God, soften my heart. And now here I'm up here about to cry just by saying her name. So check it out. I began to say, God, who do you say she is? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you this, not just to speak in front of you, but to put you in a certain direction right now in your life, okay? I said, who do you say she is? He said, she is joyful. I was like, yeah, she is joyful. And I was thinking, how do I get her to be more joyful? He's like, no, 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 you, she is joyful. That is who she is. And I was like, all right, what else? She's compassionate. This is like back before she was like two years old. You don't have a ton of evidence yet of these things. But he's saying she's compassionate. I'm like, you know what, man? She does seem to like slow down when someone gets hurt. Okay. And she's fierce. I was like, well, you know, fierce is going to be hard when she's 16, God. But I'm telling you guys, to this day, Addie knows, hi, baby girl, that she is joyful, compassionate, and fierce. And for the rest of her life, Addie will remember she is joyful, compassionate, and fierce. She'll be proud of her first name, Adeline, but she'll know there's more to the story than the name her parents gave her. That she is, not she does, joyful, compassionate, and fierce. So if I show up to a situation that requires joy, what do I do, guys, as a parent? Deploy Addie. (laughs) The commander's deploying Addie, man. Joy is needed. Go. Bring joy. Now, I'm not saying this on your own. It's through dependence on him. It's the connection This is how he designed it. But man, joy is needed, go. Compassion is needed. That person just got hurt. See, what's interesting is when you actually get this, you don't really need to give too much direction anymore. All you need to do is highlight when it happens. I want you guys to think about the people in your life. Just pick one person right now. And I want you to ask God, who are they? Who do you say they are, Lord? Give me one word to describe them. Now that you got the word, and if you don't have a word, hardened heart, overthinking, constantly in your head, these are all things I did too. You got to trust him, man. This is his design. So you got a word. Now that that's happened, have you told him? Will you tell them after I'm done talking today? Will you do that for them? Will you do that for creation? Because creation is eagerly waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And those sons, they know who they are. Those daughters, they know who they are. And they know who they're connected to. So it becomes very simple. You got your name. Ask for another. There's so many. I mean, think of how, how God describes himself. And we're made in his image. There are many dimensions. 
She's not just joyful. She's also compassionate. Now, you might say, well, maybe that's just for your one kid. God gave you names. No, Aspen, before she was born, I had someone come up to me, and they said, man, I feel like you're, you're trying to think uh, about your daughter. You're trying to connect to your daughter. This person didn't even know me, by the way, so this is what happens when you're with these kind of people. And uh, she said, she said, I feel like you're asking God to tell you more about your daughter that's about to come. And I said, yeah, because I want to make sure I love her just as much. And, he, and uh, she said, well, let me tell you who your daughter is going to be. And she starts singing it. And she goes, she is bold. She is strong. She is courageous. She is bold. She is strong. She is courageous. And it, it sounded beautiful. This person was like a professional singer. So it was amazing. And, I'm, and I start bawling because my spirit felt it. She wasn't even born yet. And I'm getting an identity for her. So then guess what happens next, guys? This is like a plan of attack for your life, all right? Then you look for the evidence. God said it. Show me it. Let me see it. You've probably already seen it. When you thought of this person in the name, you've probably already seen it. But what about this? Have you captured it for them? Because oh, I tell you what, guys, like the world is going to keep telling them who they are and it's going to confuse them. So why don't you capture the evidence? Why don't you, if you haven't captured it, go back to it. Say, hey, can I show you a picture when you were on the playground and how you responded to this? Hey, can I show you who you were in the classroom? Can I show you who you were in the sport? Start showing the evidence of the identity and it will convict them of who they are before the world told them who to be. You with me? So check it out. What I do because for a while it was hard for me to communicate. Now you're probably like, this is a great communicator. Maybe, I don't know, I've kind of blown it a couple times up here. But like, for a while it was hard, you know, especially like connecting with, with um, you know, new, being a new dad and all that. So I started to take my phone out and I would catch her in a moment and I'd record it. I'd catch her doing something joyful. Like, like just to where the evidence is so clear, man. Dude, you're on top of the world all the time. I'd catch a compassionate moment. I'd catch a fierce moment. Those are harder to get the phone out for. But basically, because you you're not thinking of getting your phone out, you know. Um, but those type of things become the way that I can show her if I ever pass away, which my wife's always like, are you going to die soon? Like, why do you do this, you know? I'm like, no, man, I'm gonna, we're good. We're good, right? I don't have any indicator of that. Uh, I just want to make sure that she can go back one day and watch these videos of these moments in her life. And she can actually be like, man, I'm really struggling. I, I feel like everyone's always annoyed of how organized I am or something. I'm like, just so you know, that's how you've always been. You know what I mean? Like, that's part of who you are. There's more than those three. So you got the name, the, the, the actual, like, name from the Lord here for you. Tell them and then start to capture it more and show them evidence. And you might hit a lot of resistance for some of you. Do it anyway, because maybe one day that word actually matters. You know, she'll tell me, like she just started a, a school um, a couple days ago, and she's like, this kid on the playground got hurt, Dad. And I said, what happened? She's like, someone stepped on his finger. She said, I went up and prayed for him, though. And I said, yeah, of course you did, because that's who you are. You know what I mean? I said, good, do it again. I said, hey, when no one else prays, you go pray, okay? Keep doing that. So I had to learn how to lead my family. And I'm going to bring some final things here together with uh, some final cool army stories just for a second. So one thing that's really important in order for all this to work is a story that I learned as a young army 
pilot as well, where we were doing some really cool operations. One second. Yeah. Come on, right? All right. She's like, don't bring the sword. I'm like, bringing it. I'm bringing the sword. So the, the officer saver. So basically, uh, I learned from this one really, you know, senior pilot. He looked at me one time and he said, uh, you know, hey, sir, if anything goes wrong, man, you just cut the sling load, okay? And what he meant was we had a Humvee underneath our aircraft and we were, you know, flying away with that. And he said, the only emergency procedure I need you to remember at this moment is if you are weighed down too much to where we do not have the power to keep this thing going and you feel like you are losing control of the aircraft, you cut sling load. It's a little button. It's not, it's not like you pull a sword out and you're like, let me chop this sling load off the aircraft. You know, it's not like that. It's like a button and it goes boom and, you know, it's like a little explosion and that's what happens. The, the, air, the Humvee is then dropped from the sky, but everyone on board lives. So, I don't want you to forget today, guys. Like, like look at this just for a moment. Cut the sling load. What's holding you back? What's in your head? Think for a moment, what's the one thing, my wife is like, we're gonna talk about that sword in a little bit here. You're not gonna forget this though. You're gonna forget everything I said probably, but you're not gonna forget seeing this thing, at least now that I said it multiple times. <clears throat> but in order for everything to work that I just shared with you, it might be important to recognize that the world has been weighing you down. A lot of you are stressed out, tired as can be, and there's no more room in the schedule. Do you think that's how God designed it? Let's go back to the garden. What did we do? Just like hang out with God and name animals and play with veg vegetables and stuff? I don't know. What did we do? We steward. We took care of what we had. We had dominion. We got to think like that again a little bit. I have a, a strong value now for availability. I try to keep availability in my schedule so I can flex for God's assignments, right? If God assigns you something, do you have enough availability to say yes? Right now, what's stopping you from telling the person that you all pictured what, you, what Adam's guiding you to have a conversation about? What's the sling load? You have some ideas? Could you let it go? Could you just hit it? Cut sling load. It's over. The sword. Man, we, 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 we slice it down. It's gone. In the name of Jesus. At least the power it had over you. We have to be free. Free to maneuver. As a pilot, it's critical that I have enough power available to maneuver that aircraft. If I fly with it full weight and maxed out for a helicopter, we're not gonna be able to do a lot of stuff. We're gonna, we're gonna have a lot of what we would call considerations, power considerations, and limitations. We emphasize getting light. What do you actually need to bring with you? So I'm asking you that, because I know school just started up. What do you need to bring with you? What do you need to let go of? You might have some commitments, I know I sure did, where it's time to say no, time to let them go so that you can be more available for God's assignments. Final thing, when I was, uh, 
Blackhawk pilot. You guys surprised? I know you like those stories. So, all right. So when I was a Blackhawk pilot, I'm sitting down, and I have this this uh, final, you know, revelation, I guess you could say, where I look over, and I hear the senior instructor pilot say, "Stop, stop." I said, "Stop what?" He said, "Stop starting up the aircraft." I was like, "Why well, don't I start up an aircraft?" He said, "Stop, stop, stop. Go back." So I go back a step. He said, no, no, go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. I said, okay, let me go back. So I started all back up, and he says, no, sit back in the seat, sir, and close your eyes. So I need you guys to close your eyes for a second. And he said, I don't want you to rush through that again. From now on, wherever you go, whenever you fly, I do not want you to just rush through the steps and buckle into an aircraft. And he taught me a valuable lesson. He taught me what I call alignment. He said, every time you step into this aircraft from this point forward, I want you to imagine, instead of you buckling into the aircraft, that you're strapping it to you. And anywhere you tell this aircraft to go, it will follow. Anywhere you tell this aircraft to go, it will follow. You will fly different. And my life changed after that. I learned the importance of alignment. That sometimes we rush through life without getting the proper alignment. Today was a message about alignment. When I looked in the mirror, God showed me who I was. He said, you are my sound of freedom. When you speak, freedom comes. Aligning to that means I must speak. I must train to release freedom out. All you're seeing is a continuation of his greater plans. Alignment. Consistent alignment to your identity. Please, from this point forward, guys, help people align to their proper identity. And be a son or a daughter who is led by the Spirit of God. Continue mission.